You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. On today's episode, you might want to know why you're attracting the wrong woman. That's what we're talking about. Why are you attracting the wrong woman? Why are you attracting the women that are toxic? Why are you attracting the women who are not good for you, who cause drama in your life? Why are you attracting the wrong woman? Why? Well, Deborah the Shrink is here, Deborah Lieb, and we're going to be talking about why you're doing this and some of the psychology behind it, which is going to help you fix it. We go into some deep stuff here today. So I don't know where you are listening to this, whether you're working out or you're in a car or you're maybe you're taking your walk. Whatever it is, get ready, buckle down. We're getting into the thick of it. And I'm really excited to be talking about some of this stuff today with someone who is a actual therapist. And it's very refreshing to hear someone who uh, has gone to schooling for some of these things and actually has some really great stuff to say. That's who we're talking with. Now, real quick, a couple of announcements. One, I am on TikTok now. A lot of guys have been enjoying the TikToks I've been putting out. So if you enjoy that kind of content, I don't know if you do, you listen to a podcast, you you enjoy longer form content, but maybe some people enjoy some of those quick little tips. If you do, follow me on TikTok, Trip Advice. I'm putting out videos every single day and you can check it and you can see and you can comment. You know, I'll tell you what, if you see a TikTok video, not one of my old ones because I don't see the comments on those, but if you see that I put one out recently, say you found me from the podcast. It'd be good to see one of my How to Talk to Girls listeners there on TikTok. So check me out, Trip Advice. Another announcement, the group coaching program is now open. That's right, I started a new group coaching program where it's gonna be me and three guys, but I'm doing multiple slots during the week, so it's not like there's only three slots available. There's nine slots available at any given time, and we're running in six-week increments. So there are plenty of spots available, and I really have made this because I want to have all types of options available. I know that I've crapped on group coaching programs in the past, but what I really meant was I just didn't like the ones where you shove 20 guys into a Zoom call. I just don't think that it helps as much as being able to get some of that personalized attention, which you can in group coaching, but as well as one-on-one coaching. So if you want to get more information about this, go to coachedbytrip.com and apply today. Then you and I can hop on a call if I see that your application looks good and we can see which program is best for you. Coachedbytrip.com. I would love to help you and get you on your journey to meeting more women, getting over your fears and anxieties with approaching and talking to women and getting you on more dates. I work with everyone 18 and older. Of course, I'm here to help you, man. If you need it, don't be shy. Coachedbytrip.com. All right. Today's episode, really, like I said, it's a good one. Sit back, enjoy, learn, soak up the wisdom. Here's my interview with Deborah Lieb, The Shrink. Hi, Deborah. Good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Clinical Therapy Services, this is your website. Tell us more about who you are and what you do and the kinds of men that you help. Okay. So I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I work primarily with a lot of couples. I do group works. I work with families and individuals. But I think that my main focus is helping relationships, men and women, right? Or same sex or whatever. But right today we're talking about men. I have done uh, extensive work in psychoanalytic training, uh, psychotherapeutic. Don't necessarily believe in giving assignments per se, because that takes you away from being in the moment. And I'd like to work with people in the moment and how they're feeling. 
and people give away themselves by physical manifestations, verbal cues, things like that, the art of conversation, that we can pick up so much from all of these avenues. It's an amazing thing. Like just the other day, a woman was saying that she's successful in her career and she has lots of friends, but she can't seem to engage men. And she said when men come over to her, she crosses her arms and men walk away and her friends are telling her you're, you're intimidating them. And then I helped her realize that she was crossing her arms to protect herself. Not that the guys did anything or said anything. She was so afraid of the attention. She crossed her arms, which gave them the feeling she was not interested. So sometimes you have to go a little bit beyond the physical presentation and maybe ask a question and get a feeling about what's happening. Sure. So you're saying like when men are putting women on a pedestal. Oh, yes. Um, I was watching some of your videos and I think you do an excellent job and you really hit some of the real hot zones. And although they're not, let's say, therapeutically technical terms, you really put it into layman's terms and make them very digestible. And one of the things you talked about, which I really liked, was that men, when they meet a woman, just because she's pretty, don't put her on a pedestal. She is a person. Because if you get caught up in the beauty, you're not paying attention to, is she kind? Is she considerate? Is she interesting? Does she have anything to contribute? Because at the end of the day, you're with the person, not necessarily all the beauty. So you have to think to yourself, am I just want a, an object to be with or something to show up to my friends or someone I'm attracted to, but not just because I'm attracted to it. That is a very important piece, visual. Is there a clinical term for this? Putting a woman on a pedestal? Because if there is, I'll, I'll use it. <laughs> no, not necessarily that there's, I can't think of the top of my head that there's a term for putting them on a pedestal because they're usually talking about the person that needs to put somebody else on a pedestal. So they need to have a reach person, you know, when they meet somebody and look at her and she looks great, which is fantastic. But as you talk to her, if she's not making you feel like you want to engage, like you're not getting that dance going, she's laughing at a joke, she's doing this, she's making you feel comfortable, move on because she's never going to make you feel comfortable because in the beginning, you put your best foot forward. And if you want somebody who's beautiful, but neurotic and needy and pull on you all the time, then that's okay. That's your bag. But if you're looking for someone to share your life with and be able to give and take, you've got to look at the person. So and the you, I'm sorry. Do you, No, no problem. Do you think that, that men end up getting into relationships with the wrong women because of their beauty? I think that I'm, I'm going to make this a universal trip if I can. And I know your audience is for men. When they say like love at first sight, love at first sight is really an unconscious connection to someone that reminds them of somebody that was kind to them or hot or, or whatever. And they're drawn to them. And we tend to take the people of our present day to work out issues from our past. So if we had, let's say, a mother that wasn't really stable or home environment that was a little chaotic or whatever, we may be drawn to women who are somewhat toxic because it feels familiar to us. And we go into those same patterns of behavior. So if we had a mother, let's say, who or a father but was kind of chaotic or very needy or very demanding, we might get drawn to a woman that has that same rhythm. Do we want a lifetime of that? Not necessarily. But we get drawn to it because we know how to behave. We know how to please them and then they'll give us love, to do something for them and then they'll give us what we need. But it's always give first before you receive. They're not going to say take care of you on their own unless they need something. So I don't know if that answers it directly, but we are drawn to what we know, patterns that we grew up with until we understand it and break it. So, yeah. So you're saying if you had a parent who was toxic in your life or you had a parent who wasn't there for you or caused any kind of trauma, minor to major, that you could attract that type of person into your life because that's what's familiar to you. 
Is that what I'm gathering here? So let's say you had a very narcissistic mother that didn't give you a lot of attention and she was, you always had to take care of her. She was such a needy person. And then you find this really beautiful woman and she starts chatting with you and you kind of say, oh, it's going pretty well. And she does little things that a person who didn't have a narcissistic mother would say, this, this woman's not for me. But they're like, oh, I get this. I do this first. She's going to do this. But at the end of the day, she's going to be a toxic person. You're reliving the toxicity of an old relationship. No, no. In the beginning, it feels familiar, but it, but it, it, it dies very quickly. So how do you break that pattern? I would tell you, and as a therapist, you sometimes you need to go to a therapist and the therapist will start showing you patterns. Like, why are you drawn to this person or what did this person bring? And look at your history. And if you're not comfortable going to a therapist, then think to yourself, look at your history of who you were drawn to. Who were those women and who do they remind you of in your past? Maybe not your father, a mother, maybe your father, but someone that you cared about or caregiver who was not healthy and were either drawn to an unhealthy or healthy caregiver. And until we work that through, it's a constant repetition. They call it a repetition compulsion. And everybody does it. Until you break it. Until you break it. When you break it, you realize, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, some people try to break it by moving far away. They don't want to be near their families. They don't want to be near their mom or their father. They want to break it. But they tend to reestablish it wherever they go. So no matter where you go, you take your problems with you. So you have to break it it and understand yourself. What really motivates you? Wherever you go, there you are. There you are. That's right. You just reestablished yeah. with new with new pieces on the board, but you're still playing the same game. So does one have to go through therapy to help them discover this or to help them get past this if they've had any, we'll say, traumatic events from their childhood or repetitive patterns that they're seeing, finding the same type of woman that isn't a good fit for them? Well, you know, I can come from my perspective, right, Trip. So if this person has a toothache and it's always bothering them when they eat and they don't want to go to a dentist and they're going to pull out their tooth themselves, it's going to be sloppy. It's going to be problematic. They could get infection, right? So if you have an issue and it's not, you know, giving you um, solace and finding a partner is a life decision, right? You find someone to build your life with is a life decision. Maybe go to a therapist or find a good one that works in your rhythm and work through some of that so that you can be free of that. If you don't want to go to a therapist, I mean, you can. I don't really think self-help books work. You know, personally, they did. I'd be out of business because you still bring the same mindset and the same dialogue to those self-help books. And a little epiphany is not enough. You got you to gotta really start to think about, oh, yeah, that does remind me of that person. Or I know what you mean, because sometimes someone will come to me and say, look, Deb, I had a great parents. I had a great family. I didn't have any issues there. So I know there's issues there because now that, you know, that's how they had to tell me right up front. But they're also telling me I'm not ready to deal with them. Wait, so you're saying that if a person says that, you know, that they're it's as if they're lying to you. I don't want to use the term lying, but they don't want to deal with it. Come on, Trip. We all have parental issues or, or sibling issues. Nobody gets out scot-free. That's some true. Some people get, gets, you know, dealt a worse hand than another, but everybody has some kind of issue and some issues we carry with us, right? The traumas of our past are shackled to us and be brought into the future. Now, I know that from a cognitive behavioral standpoint, that's not really their go-to, but I'm telling you from my training, that is what we bring continuously. So we have to learn to undo it. We have to learn to understand ourselves to really find the right partner. And talking to someone like a therapist, it's better to uncover or works better to uncover than just reading some sort of book on therapy or whatever you think the issue may be. Well, I'm always for education. You know, it's like when somebody looks online to diagnose an ailment, they look at all the symptomology. Oh, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this, but they don't understand what really to look for succinctly and how many of those ailments 
create a diagnosis, right? So I could read a self-help book and say, oh, I do this, I do this, I do this. But you need you need the author to explain it to you. You need someone to guide you. And sometimes people say it in the smallest ways, Trip, the smallest things, you've got to pick up on it. So I had this guy, he's a, a lovely guy, but he had a mother that didn't take good care of him and a father who worked all the time. So he feels unloved. He feels like no one wants to take attention to him. So he met this woman, a beautiful, lovely woman. He struggles. He struggled with it. He struggled that he, deep down, it took a long time for him to feel that he deserved her. So he was constantly doing things that were creating a toxic relationship because his needs were so big that she didn't know how to fill his, fill his coffer. And he was creating a toxic relationship because he never felt loved. So that can happen. So I'm curious what guys you've worked with where they've come to you and they've dated someone who was not the right match for them. I don't want to lead you to say anything specific. Like I have some ideas of what that could look like, but I'm curious what's your response to like what guys have come to you with certain situations. Maybe the women have emotional issues or jealousy issues or whatever, whatever it may be. So I have a few uh, guys. I'm going to say like they're in their late 20s to about 35-ish in the the example that I'm going to give. And they meet a woman and she's very pretty and she's really nice and very sweet. In the beginning, they're swept away with it. And then all of a sudden, they're out with their friends and she puts him down in front of them. She makes fun of them in front of them, like in in a really derogatory way. And he's kind of taken back. And he says to her later, why did you do that? She goes, oh, you don't have a sense of humor. So as soon as she started feeling a little comfortable, she started getting nasty. He's not comfortable with that. He tries to talk to her. He thinks if he reasons with her, she's going to stop it. But that's not what happens. And then slowly she does other things that are not the nicest. And he keeps holding on to the beginning of the relationship when things were terrific. Sometimes when people are not well, they're wonderful in the beginning, but they can't keep that face on for too long. And then the mask falls down and the person starts to feel a little bit like, am I crazy? I mean, you were so nice. And she'll say to him, well, you know, if you did more things or you were more fun, I wouldn't have to make fun of you. So he'll, he'll try to stretch himself to accommodate what her needs are. But no matter what he does, she's just going to be mean to him because that's really the tenor of the relationship. And now he's caught because he really has fallen in love with a girl that doesn't exist anymore. And it's it's very problematic to- Dark. To, to, it is. To te- separate him from that, he has to trust me. And I, I will have to say, I've never been wrong up to this moment. I've not been wrong. When I help them to take them out and give them encouragement, sometimes I put them in my groups. I have groups that I run and- you know, all like in a similar age range, men and women, whatever. And it, it affords a very free vehicle for them to talk about and have the women give them some ideas and input and women, men to women about what's going on. And it can be very helpful, but it's difficult for them to separate because they keep thinking, maybe I'm wrong. They get gaslighted and it's very hard to shake somebody out of that ether. Can you explain what gaslighting is for people who might not know what that is? Sure. Gaslighting is when you know somebody did something or said something to you, and then they tell you that's not what they said. And they try to make you feel like you're crazy, but you know you heard it. So they make you feel like you're crazy because they don't want to own it. So they switch the whole vehicle around. Got it. That reminds me of like uh, back in the day, I was in a relationship where if we ever got into a fight or a disagreement and it was brought up by me, there would be times where somehow I I would be the one apologizing at the end of the conversation. And I walk away like, what the hell just happened? Right. <laughs> I'd be like, wait, why am I, why did I just apologize? I was the one who was upset. 
You're gaslighted. Absolutely. Another somewhat form, not exactly gaslighting, is you come to, a, let's say, someone you're dating and you say to them, you know, it, I don't know, I, I, I was really uncomfortable last night with, with when you said blah, blah, blah to me. And they'll say, I'm sorry if you feel upset about it. What does that mean? I'm sorry if you feel upset about it. There's no ownership. So it makes you feel like, what do you mean if I'm upset about it? An apology is, I'm sorry for hurting your feelings. That was not my intent. I didn't realize, right? That's ownership. But as soon as someone says, I'm sorry, if you feel that way, now they're separating themselves and making you feel like, am I being too sensitive? What, should I have been asking her to say apology? It's, it's just zero empathy. Zero. Well, they, what they're doing is they have a fragile ego, the, the person, the woman, whatever, and she can't own her behavior. So they yeah. get away with it. You know, it's funny if I could bring this in. I was asked to be in Clubhouse earlier, which is, you know, another format. And the women were talking about them. It was a man's room and he was talking about something about um, um, why do women date ugly men? And the conversation really lent itself to why do women have men buy them dinner, right? If they're not interested. The women on, on that particular thing were kind of not the nicest women. I have to say it was a very bad representation for women all over. What, what happened? What did they say? Well, the women were saying, if a guy's going to ask me out for dinner, he better pay. And because I take my time to do my nails and my hair and everything, he better put up. And I, I'm not going to go for some walk. I'm not going to go for, I'm going to get dressed up to go for a walk. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this person? So all these women were complaining. And then I, I said, well, first of all, there is a little responsibility of the guy. Because before you ask a woman out, you should talk to her, right? Get to know her a little bit. Whether it's the first meeting or whatever it is, get to know her. And then if you like being around her and she feels interesting, talk about something you'd like to do with her and say, you know, I know this great place. You ever go there? You want to take a walk? And she says, yes, you got a date. And she knows what's up ahead. And then that walk, if you like her, can turn into, you know, coffee or drinks, can turn into dinner, right? It can roll into a great evening. But never feel obligated that you have to take them out to this expensive meal because they're pretty or because they're made up because that person might not be a nice person. So you have to look at if this has happened to you a lot of times, which is what I said on the, on the clubhouse, this has happened a lot of times to a guy, then he has to look at his picker, right? He has to look at what kind of woman am I picking? Because there are types of women who do that, just like there are types of men who ask women out, not because they're interested, but because they want to get laid, right? And the woman thinks he really likes her and really he has an ulterior motive. And then the women have ulterior motives. So I say to both sexes, you have to think about who am I going out with? Not because they're good looking. They should be attractive to you, but they don't have to be a 10. Because a seven will become a 10 if they're great. And a 10 will become True. a five if they're horrible. So you've got to balance it. I like that. It seems like you're really into not playing victim. Uh, no, uh, no, no, I'm not into playing victim. I can tell just by the way you're talking about this is, is you know, you, you got to take some responsibility for what you're doing here. It's like you're saying, you know, if you're, you know, if a guy is with the woman, it's like, oh, she just wanted a free dinner. Well, sure, but you might have not picked the right woman, you know, like but give yourself you a little responsibility here so you can fix it. Right. If you see a woman and she's beautiful, I can understand you want to go over to, she's a beautiful woman. You're attracted to her. Maybe she even waved at you or whatever and gave you an idea she was interested. But if you start talking to her and all she wants you to do is buy her more drinks and say, oh, you're cute, you know, buy you more drinks and doesn't talk to you about anything. What do you have? You have a drinker who, who thinks you're cute. That right. doesn't mean you're going to get laid. It doesn't mean she cares about you, but she wants you to buy her drinks. People tell you who they are from the very beginning trip. They, yeah. they expose themselves right from the start. Yep. And if you're watching, you'll see. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. You know, it's interesting too, you, you brought this up because, so I'm on TikTok and there was a pretty big conversation on a few of my TikToks where we're talking about first dates. And there was a woman who did a TikTok video and she said, you better not take me on a date, a walking date. You better not take me on a coffee date. You better take me on a dinner date. So I made a video where I stitched it, which means like it, she, it says, 
the video starts with her saying that, and then it's to me. Right. And then right. I said, you know, this is not the kind of woman you want to date. This is someone who is high maintenance, yada, yada. It is perfectly acceptable to do a coffee date. And then I kind of admitted like, okay, maybe don't do a walking date. Like best to just sit down and connect with someone, but a coffee date is just fine. And there are women in the comments who are saying things like, that's ridiculous. Like, so they would say, if he should know my like he should know my value or i'm i'm a valuable woman oh. and i'm and i'm i'm worth more than a coffee date and so my argument against that not that i'm even care to argue with women because my job here is to help men but still i get in the conversation and i say listen he does not know you're even valuable yet okay that's but this is only one aspect of the why i think it's ridiculous but he doesn't know that yet and he's and he should be and i tell guys the guys who are listening, I say you should be going on multiple dates per week so you can find a match. Like it's good to be going on multiple first dates and, and have a busy dating life so you can eventually, if you want a relationship, find someone that's a good match. It's going to take going on a lot of dates. It is not sustainable to be going on dinner dates, even if you are a very wealthy person. It's just a lot of time and it is a lot of money. And again, it is, still has nothing to do with being cheap, but you don't need that. All you need is a coffee date. And that's when you decide if that person is valuable, you know, or whatever the terminology they're using. But that's kind of my argument against that in terms of those, you know, you must take me to dinner date. It's like, why? Because you're pretty. Right. I'll take it one step further. And I totally, I'm, I'm on board with what you're saying. You owe somebody, a man to a woman, a woman to man, to be a decent person, to be kind, to be courteous, to be decent. That's what you owe them period. Nobody, you know, you owe me or I'm worth this. You haven't shown me exactly what you said, what your worth is, which I don't like anyway. It's a whole narcissistic pro- projection. It's an over-evaluation of self-importance. If you go on a date, every woman wants to look attractive. You're not going to go out, like r- rise out of bed and just roll into a pair of jeans. It's not going to happen because you'd like to put your best foot forward, as I'm sure he would like to put his best foot forward, which is important. So if a woman comes to the door, or you come to a door to a woman and you're not dressed and you look slovenly and hair coming out of every orifice and you just look like you didn't brush your hair, not a good sign. That makes her feel bad. That makes her feel like you didn't care. But if you talk to her before you asked her out and got a sense of her and you said like, do you like to go hiking? Do you like to do this? You like, and she said, yeah, I like to do museums. I heard there's a great exhibit going on at the blah, 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 museum. Take her. What is that, an entry fee? Take her. And if you're having a good time, sit and have coffee with her. Like, feel somebody out a little bit. And if someone says, I love to go hiking, say, would you like to go? There you are to date. She knows up ahead that you're going hiking. And if you like her, you know, and you want to be cute, then bring a backpack with some drinks and some, you know, some cups and stuff and sit down and enjoy the sights. You know, be a little romantic, be a little imaginative. But there's nothing wrong with starting on a walk if she said she likes that, right? But if you go for like a, a woman that's very high maintenance and she's, you know, done to the nines and her fingernails are like three inches long and that turns you on or whatever, she's not going on a hike. Bottom line, she's not, she's not going on a hike. It's not happening because she can't even button her own shirt with those fingernails. How is she going to go on a hike and whatever? She's not doing it. Decide what kind of gal you want. I mean, right. if you have a gal who likes to hike and she still has nail polish and still looks very feminine, but she likes the outdoors. I mean, you know, a guy shouldn't get stuck like that. So if a guy leads like he's going to take her out to a big meal and then he takes her out for a walk, you know, takes her to whatever, he wasn't reading the signals and I can understand why she's mad. But if he talked to her and she was into it, then why be mad? And, and I want to add one other thing. I want to just say to your listeners, pick the restaurant wisely. Because if you have a smart girl she or a woman, she's looking at, does, does he go there often? Is it something interesting? Is he, is he adventurous in trying something new? Does he like this kind of food? Like, and where you feel confident? Because confidence is an aphrodisiac for women. And they like to know that he, you know, he has his footing. So it doesn't have to be fancy, fancy, but it's a place that you feel good and that you're going to have the best foot forward on that date for conversation. That's an aphrodisiac. 
you know, trip, let's be fair. There are men out there that have a lot of money and they date with their wallet and it's all about their wallet and they just want a model. They just want a model because models are pretty. I don't mean to group into a, to it, but that's the truth. Sometimes generalizations are true. Well, you know, that doesn't mean everyone, but you know. Well, there's a saying that all generalizations are false, including this one. So I had a guy who was made a lot of money. He was a patient of mine, not a particularly attractive guy, a nice guy, funny sense of humor. And he had a very beautiful wife, right? And they come to couple session and she was dumb as a stump. And the only thing she cared about was, you know, going to Starbucks, getting her coffee, dropping her kids at school, having her lunch dates, going to the gym, picking up her kids at school. She didn't cook. She didn't do this. She wasn't adventurous. And he was bored. He'd been with her for 15 years. He said to me, I'm going to kill myself. Because, you know, I want to do something and she doesn't want to do anything, but she looks good. So when he goes into a party, all the guys are jealous. But behind, but after a while, he doesn't even want to have sex with her anymore. He doesn't care. It gets boring. You know, it's you got to ask yourself, it. is that worth it? Right. You know, if you want to collect woman-like cars, go ahead. But if you want to have a relationship, you got to look under the hood. Yeah, that's why I tell guys, you, you do want to go on a lot of dates because you got to discover that for yourself. Right. What kind of women you're going to connect with. Who, you know, who are you going to enjoy? And you have to go out there and, and put yourself out there. I, I remember I was thinking about this just now. Speaking of first fancy dates, I remember I went on, this is many, many years ago. I went on a date as a first date, took her to one of the nicest restaurants and uh, we sat down and we just were not vibing. Like we just, <laughs> we were not connecting and we did it because, oh, I was interested. I met her through a friend. And there was a sort of like a half setup kind of situation. And I remember we went to this really nice dinner. It was funny too, because we go to this really nice dinner and she's barely even enjoying her meal. She's clearly not a foodie, you know, whatever. Dinner costs 150, 200 bucks. And at that point, I was a little bummed. I was like, all right, like I just spent all this money. And I was like, oh, but whatever. It was just a learning lesson, right? I'm not playing victim. It's like, I really, you know, it's like, what was I trying to do? Like impress her? It's like, well, look what happened. We went to a nice dinner. She didn't even enjoy it. We didn't even connect. It's like this this meal was ruined. You know, it's like this, you, mm -hmm. you go out to this nice dinner. You, you, the part of it is well, you're enjoying the dinner and you're enjoying the company and you're getting to know someone and you're on a date. It's like at that point, it's like, what's the point? Wouldn't it be great though? To go on a first date, something a little bit more low-key, like a coffee or an, or a drink, maybe a few bites, something like that. And then after the first date, you're like, wow, I dig this person. I want to see them again. Of course, if you're going to go on a second date, you're saying to yourself, I want to see this person again. And then you can go on the dinner date. You know it's going to be more comfortable. You're going to be comfortable with whatever place you pick. It's just, to me, not sustainable to be doing that also in a way where you're trying to impress. Yes, because if you're trying to impress and you have to do it with financial, right, then it's that now you've raised the bar and you have to always meet it because that, that's her expectation. And then to go with her and think it's going to get any better, it's not getting any better because the first few dates tells you the rhythm of the relationship. And, you know, maybe she's a little quirky and she forgot something or she did this, but you didn't mind because she was so kind and funny that I could let that go. You know, we could, I mean, some of the most memorable dates happen with fluky things and I remember one time I was uh, going out to Fire Island. I'm, I'm from New York and I was like, I think like 25. And I sat up on top of the ferry because you take a ferry out to go to Fire Island. And I met this guy up there. He was really nice. And we chatted. I thought he was so nice. And I was staying at a house with some friends. And he went, got off at the same area that I was getting off. And we parted. And then the next day he walked the beach looking for me. And then he found me. And we sat and talked a little bit more. And we went to the water. And then his friends called him away. My friends called me away. You know, I was thinking about him. He was in my head. And he was thinking about me. And we dated for like two years. Eventually, eventually we went on a regular date. You know, we, he called me up. He said, I think it's time we have dinner because we kept running into each other on the beach and he was lovely. 
And the only reason why it ended is he had to move. He got a job transfer really far away. And I wasn't willing to move to Europe. I really cared about him, but it wasn't. And I still have fond memories. It wasn't a bad thing. It just was a situational thing. So anyway, my point being is that's a buildup. A buildup date can be great as long as she's on board. Deborah, what can you tell us about red flags on a first date? What are some red flags that men should look out for? They're on the date. Let's say it's on the whatever it is, drink date, coffee date, whatever it is. What are the red flags? I'm excited to hear this from a therapist, by the way. Of course, all the dating coaches, including myself, have lots of opinions on this, but I'm, I'm curious to see what you say here. Red flag. So the first easy one is how do they treat the wait staff? Are they kind, overly flirtatious? Are they appropriate? Another thing is, do they talk the entire time and don't, and don't come up for air? Do they ask you questions? Is it a give and take conversation or are you just sitting here listening to someone dialogue for a long period of time? Is their conversation interesting? Do they try to engage you? Do they try to find something that you two can meet on? Do they, are they interested in you? Or are they just bragging about themselves? That's a big red flag. I have to say table manners. You know, do they, you know, hold their, their knife like they're, like they're stabbing a pig or do they can hold it properly? You know, um, if it's not a big deal for you, it still kind of tells you a little bit about upbringing. I would say, how many drinks do they have? right? Are they like, you know, want to want like three drinks before you get your entrees? There's an issue there. You know, it's nice when a woman might say, you know, do you want to split an appetizer or do something like that and ask first? Not if they reach into your, your plate with a fork. Not okay. Boundary problem. Boundary. Your food is your place. And if you want to share it, great. If you want to be romantic, but not somebody else come into your territory. Not okay. Do they order the most expensive thing? That's uh, not okay also. Someone's taking you out. You should order something in a moderate range because you have to be considerate of the other person and their purse. If the dinner is not going well and you both kind of get the idea that it's not going well, I think that she should offer to split the bill. If she if she really likes him and she's having a good time, I'm a little old-fashioned. I think it's nice for a guy to take a woman out on the first date when he asks her out, if they're having a good energy and whatnot. She can offer to pay the tip, but if he takes it, it makes her think that he's a little cheap. Because on the first date, take care of her if you're having a good time. You know, and then you see like, does he wait to be seated? Does he let's go before you're really done eating? You know, be aware of the, of the dance. The dance at the table is an intimate dance. You know, is he funny? Does he say, look at that couple? Is he engaging? Is, is she interesting? Is she laughing with you? You know, is she looking away? Is she yawning? Is she have to look at her phone? A uh, big problem. The phone thing, big problem. The phone should not be there. Only if you're dating somebody that has children and they're a little bit worried in case there's a problem with the babysitter. But other than that, They should not be answering calls from their friends. They should not be texting. The evening is about the two of you. Very important to look out for that one for sure. Big, big problem. Big, big problem. And they start taking selfies at the table. Just run. (laughs) Just run. Go to the major day. I got this and leave. Because if they have to tell taking selfies, you know, and all that, and, and if they get drunk on the first date, that's sloppy too. I mean, unless the two of you are really drinking and sharing sangria and having a good time and whatever, but it's, you shouldn't lose your center on a first date. If you, you know, it's just not okay. Sometimes if you're at an event and everybody's drinking and you're having a good time, but I still think you can be buzzed without getting sloppy. Doesn't seem very ladylike. I mean, listen, it doesn't look better on a man either. Well, that's true too. You know, when a man gets drunk and then he starts saying sexual things to her and it's, it's not okay. Oh, another red flag is if she's talking sex all the time. She's leading with sex. That means she doesn't feel good about who she is and she doesn't have good confidence. Oh, Interesting. So she's trying to hook you. I have a lot of problems with a lot of my patients that are, you know, they want to sleep with the guy right away 
And not that they necessarily like him, but they feel like if they sleep with him, then he'll be interested in them. They're not leading with who they are. Then they're anxious. Then they want to know, why isn't he texting me? Why isn't he calling me? Why isn't he texting me? And I am of the, of the adage that men and women think about sex differently. Men can sleep with the women and say thank you and be like be pleased and three days later forget their name. And women always remember. They always remember. And they want to know if they're going to hear from them. And then they become Klingons. You know, they don't leave you alone. So I tell them you're not, you don't, you can't have sex like a man. You can have sexual partners and you can enjoy your orgasm and all those good things that you want and be communicative. That's not what I'm saying. You can, you know, live and be well. But in the beginning, I always tell women, play, play closer to the vest. You give away your power if you sleep, sleep with a guy too soon, if it's going to make you anxious. Yeah, I think there is something that, again, you know, people, like, I feel like a feminist might hear what you're saying and go, oh, what, a woman can't talk about sex? Why can't you talk about sex? Why is that not allowed? We like sex too. But again, you got to generalize a little bit here so you can understand what's happening. Let's be real. Most women, if you had to do some sort of some experiment or survey, let's say you take 100 women and all of those women who were very sexual, talk about sex in the first date, probably most of those women are going to have major self-esteem issues and maybe something even deeper because that is not of the normal. And yes. then maybe a small percentage might be, yeah, completely, you know, fine and just maybe a little bit more sexually liberated. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. I'm all for women's liberation. Trust me, I am all for it. Gloria Steinem didn't do women a favor. I'm going back in the day. When she fought for women's equality, she did it on the heads of men and she made them feel inferior. So it became combative. Now we're trying to come in and say, let's walk together. I want to be treated respectfully and I want to treat you respectfully. That's the right way. And I think that I want women to feel good. I want them to feel empowered, but there's no reason. Look, if I was on a date and a man started talking about his penis size or how many women he's conquered, turn off. So that would be, so it's interesting on the, on the male front, that might be, not be, well, it actually probably is self, yeah, it's probably the same thing. Self-esteem, yes. uh, narcissism. It's yeah, the same thing as talking about how they're going to spend their money. A guy who brags about how many cars he has and his wallet and whatever, and talks about his penis size, same issue. They can't hold their own and they're, trying to put this frontal thing that they think this superficial facade that's, and if you're going to attract a woman who's into that facade, you're going to have a really hard time because they're about as deep as a shot glass. So you're not going to get the support, the kindness, laughing, the hanging around, spending a day. She wears the top of the pajamas, you wear the bottoms, you know, like just spending the day together. Uh-uh. You're going to have a woman that you have to pay, do. It's going to be a problem. That's, that's my experience. And I tell women to try, you know, no penis vagina action. Keep it, you know, you can cuddle, you can be affectionate, you can be whatever. Get to know the person and the sex will follow. Now, if you're just into having sex and you just want to get a book of all these different women you slept with, you know, have fun. But if you're really looking for somebody, you don't want somebody who's going to tell you. I can't, okay, let me go back a minute. I have a lot of patients who have met a woman they really like. And then she starts telling them at like the fifth date about her sexual conquests and where she got laid and who did this or whatever. And it, he doesn't want to hear it. A guy does not want to hear or think about his woman in a sexual pretzel with another guy or an orgy or threesome. Or He doesn't want to think about you that way. He might exactly. know the experiences, but he wants to think like you're with me. He doesn't want to know about it. You know, he will, he will reap the benefits of her expertise in the bed, right? But he doesn't want visually want to think about it. And men will visually think about it. And it creates problems. And women who are insecure think that it makes them sound sexier and more desirable. And they don't realize there's still that standard there. But there is a caveat to this trip. If a man meets a woman who he thinks is a reach, right? She's a model. She has a lot of money. She's some, some kind of reach in his mind. He'll, if she sleeps with him right away, he'll give her a lot of room because she's a reach. She slept with me. Oh my God. She's fabulous. She wants me, right? So he'll be in like la-la land for about two or three months. 
until it, he hits the wall. Wait, what do you mean until he hits the wall? Well, until he starts to realize that she may be a reach for him, but there's nothing underneath that's that's keeping her up in the tower. That she doesn't, she's not particularly nice, or she's not particularly interesting. She's really cool, or she's famous, or she's this, but she has no time for me. She goes out with all her other friends. She makes me feel second. I don't feel really loved by her. I mean, sex is good, but I don't want to hear about all her conquests and all about her life. What about my life? What about us? So he starts to feel lonely, but he doesn't look at her that she's easy because she was a reach. That's the difference. If he feels right. that somebody he could never normally obtain and he got her in bed right away, he's in because he feels like, wow, how did I do that? Kudo credit. You know what I mean? Right. And then he's sucked in by the wrong things, basically. Right. And listen, uh, I've been there, guys. It's it's a problem. You know, it's it's hard to fight your biological urges. You know, it's like when you're with a woman who you find yourself very attracted to and eh, maybe they're showing some red flags, but then you guys sleep together. You're you're no pun intended. You're you might be screwed here. You'll fall for the wrong person. That's right. Because you're, you're thinking with with uh, the wrong part of your body. The wrong head takes over, and then until the other head gets its blood back, you're like you're like screwed. And like that could screwed. take months and months, oh, and yeah. uh, could be a disaster. That's right. Then you have to undo it. Then the therapist has to say, "All right, so you know when did it start to go this, and when did it start to have problems, and how many times, whatever, and and you know what kind of life do you want to have with this person? Do you think that if you want to have children, is she the type that wants to have a family? If you don't want to have children, is she someone who will travel with you? You know, you have to start thinking about it more than just filling your narcissistic basket of wow, look what I got, look what I got. You know, yep. this makes me feel so good because she's so pretty and famous, or she's whatever she is, right? That fills their coffer. It doesn't grow." Exactly. Change subjects just for a minute. Sure. I want to talk real quick before we wrap up about self-esteem, since we talked about that for a second earlier. What do you think are some of the best practical ways that a man can increase his self-esteem? I think that I always tell women that you want a man who likes what he does for a living. When a man likes what he does for a living, he feels good about himself. He feels competent. He's comfortable with whatever the income is or where he can go with that income. So he needs to feel good about what he does. He needs to find what makes him happy. He needs to enjoy his own company. So like hanging out at the house, like, you know, COVID was for some people, it was disastrous. And for others, it was self-awareness. So to build confidence in somebody is to make good decisions and be supported by those good decisions. And if we make mistakes, we all make mistakes. It's how you get up from those mistakes. Don't be afraid to fail. We all fail. And that's how we grow. We grow through our failures and then we enjoy our successes. So be kind, find what you like to do, speak in confidence, be interested in the other person, and then you'll get so much more. If you speak to a woman and you seem interested and you're kind to her and you're both attracted to each other, she's going to make you feel great because she sees you as great. And that's a great energy in a relationship, right? You're with the right person because when you're with them, you want to be better. You want to be with them. It makes them feel good. Did I answer that? You uh, you half answered it. Okay, just being honest with sure. you. But I wanted to hear more about, and you kind of said it a little bit, so maybe we yeah, it was, it was right there, just about this idea of how a man can build self-esteem, just in general. Well, it's interesting, what, what I take from what you said there, you said that when a man really loves his career and what he does, he feels good about himself. And, you know, and if you don't like what you do, and let's say you have a job that you have to take and it's not like what your dream is, then get a hobby that makes you feel really good. Then get into, I don't know, archery or get into something that you like to do that makes you feel good so that when you finish your nine to five job, you go into something that you really like, playing tennis in a sport, doing something that makes you interesting and makes you feel good about it. And you look forward to it. A woman likes a guy who's confident, you know, and when you are confident, 
and you get positive feedback, it makes you more confident, more solid. As a therapist, when I am working with, with somebody or working with a guy and he tells me he did something, I'll say, that was great. If I mean it, I I'm generally don't blow smoke up someone, but I'll, they did, I'll say, that was a good decision. How do we get there? And he'll tell me, I'll say, good work. Let's keep using that. And he feels good about that because he feels supported that he made a good decision and then he trusts his instincts. And then we work from that place. Building confidence is feeling that I can do this. I'm a good person. I can do this. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. Confident person makes mistakes. Here's the difference, Trip. Confidence person makes a mistake and says, you know, I thought I was going to do that. All right, I made a mistake. He doesn't think he's a bad person. He thinks it's a mistake. The action was a mistake. A non-confident person can't own a mistake because they feel there's something wrong with them if they own that mistake. So they can never admit I did something wrong because they don't have the confidence to say, you know what? I'm a smart guy. How come I thought of that? Like you said earlier, you know people, you have a good eye, you're intuitive. So you went on a date with this woman and you spent this money and it, and it wasn't like, it wasn't really going anywhere, but you kept going for it. So you made a mistake. Does that make you a mistake? No. It means you're a smart guy that learned from that. That's right. all. That's confident. Right. Deborah, it was yeah. an honor and a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. Trip. I just yeah. appreciate all of your honest advice and your wisdom and your knowledge. So thank you for sharing all of it with us today. And I found it very intriguing. And, uh, and really, I think it sparked some good conversation. I want you to now have a minute to talk to the guys. I don't know if there's anything that you have in terms of like a link, if they want to find you or follow you or work with you. So please tell us where they can find that. Well, I do have an Instagram account, Deb the Shrink, and I am on Clubhouse, Deborah Lieb. They can always email me. They have a question at uh, uh, Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, clinical therapy services with an S at the end, dot com. And I'll be happy to to get back with them and, and talk with them. I mean, I had a website, but it, it, the website was so antiquated. I didn't really use it that much. So they can always email me. And Trip, thank you so much for this opportunity because I speak very frankly. And I, I, I want to say that I want to be clear because you said earlier that I think that men and women should enjoy their sexuality, enjoy their sexual identity, but they should keep it, you know, keep a little bit to themselves when they're in the beginning of dating somebody. That's just a part of yourself that should come out a little bit later. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy it. doesn't mean you shouldn't talk about your orgasms or what you like in bed or whatever, but in a safe place. If you're looking for a, a long-term relationship, if you're not, do whatever you want. But if you're talking about how to meet somebody, and, and I want to say if, if guys start talking about sex right away, it, it can really be an, uh, upsetting to a, a woman, you know? So, um, but I want to thank you for this opportunity to express, and I hope that I've helped some people if they have any questions to let me know. I'll help to get rid of some of the fog or lessen their anxiety. Perfect. That sounds good. We'll put that information in the show notes so they can check you out. Deborah, thanks again. Thank you, Trip.